Hey everyone, this is Chris. You're listening to the Dad Regime Podcast. This is part two of our mathematics podcast with Rob Prophet White. You should listen to part one if you haven't already. Uh, we're picking up the conversation pretty much from where we left off. Uh, it's good. Good conversation. Smart guy. Let's see what he has to say. So we've we've touched on a lot of different things in that first part of the conversation. So perhaps we can be a little more focused with some of these uh, areas now. What do you see as the main inhibitors for students becoming proficient at math? I would say that a lot of the time, a biggest inhibitor for a child is that resilience, persistence to have a go. Now. To break that down, it's making kids, it's exposing kids as a parent, and it doesn't come naturally to us because we want to go and help. But because we can over scaffold unintentionally, we can cause problems later on. So I, I get parents to like actually get your kids start, get them to pose their own problems. You know, ask a kid to come up with their own mass problem. I would interrogate a kid to say, how did you get that? Are you sure there's not another way? What do you think? As a parent, show them what you did. Get the get your child to look at that because all the time you're breaking down. You want to, because we need to show kids that there are lots of ways of doing things. There's not just one way. You know, yeah, I was taught one way to multiply, but I always find that when I ask parents, if I ask them to do 15 times eight, for example, I will get probably six or seven different methods. And those parents will often say to me, I wasn't taught that at school. That's just what my brain does. I said, congratulations, you just demonstrated critical and creative thinking by your brain is looking at those numbers, whether it's 10 eights plus 5 eights or 4 times 30 or whatever. And suddenly, their minds spark. Oh, wow, because they feel good. Oh, I can do that. Of course you can do, do that. You don't need to do it that one way. And so that is a great takeaway. As a parent, don't feel ashamed that you can't do maths or you can't have a go. Get the kids to show you what they're doing because that is great for them. For a kid to explain to somebody else, we know that's one of the highest forms of understanding. So as a parent, you are perfect for that because you want the kids to show what they do in maths or any subject outside that maths classroom. So getting them to focus more on defending and looking at ways to solve basic addition, subtraction, multiplication with whole numbers. You know, with older kids, I'll do it with fractions and decimals because that's the sort of everyday math they need. Or numbers like 4,000, 10,000, nice round, easy numbers that often come up on the QCS year 12. It's not so much the numbers are hard. They want them to be able to round and find half or a quarter. So that, that would be one great thing. I would say another thing to know to help is just to get them to, you know, just converse with you as a mum or dad about how they're feeling about maths. What part of maths do they like? Don't they like? You know, because again, open up to them mm. as a parent. Tell them what you didn't or didn't know, didn't like, because you might be great at shape. Do you use shape in your workplace? You know, get them to see shape. Get them to realise shape. Because if shape's an area that they like, 
then by all means use it, because the ancient Greeks taught all their maths through shape and geometry. So, you know, and I went to a PD years ago where most of the, a lot of kids like chance, probability chance, they find it, in, no, it intrigues most people. And so that is a way of using most of their number skills through the lens of chance and data to get them to do it. And I tried that recently with grade sixes. I gave them some nutrition and they had to, one class had a basic test of just drill, you know, here's a table, decimals, fractions, percentages. Let's convert between the ones that I'm sure resonates with most of our listeners of, oh my God, I remember doing that. Yeah, but then I gave one kid some graphs with different foods and they had to come up with a menu to make so many calories using this. An hour was gone. Now they were doing it, linking it, but they were able to use, apply, engage with, participate and remember and retain all that information. So getting your kids to have a go with looking at ways what they're doing in school. As a parent, try and find it when you go out because it's there <laughs> and it'd be good good for mums and dads to have a look, look, look at that as well so those will be two things before we do the fi- fi- final tips at the end those are two things that you can do straight away you know and they would be the same that would the same advice you would give to teachers that's the same advice that I do when I do my like professional learning you know for the state department or even at university for new trainee teachers mm-hmm. I get them to talk about, I get them to open up about their own memories. And it's quite interesting for me to see you know, students coming back to university to be teachers in their 30s and 40s with these inhibitions around maths. But once they see, oh, well, have you tried doing it this way? It's been, oh, suddenly it's an aha moment, like 40 years later. It's like, well, why couldn't we see that before? Or mm. have you taught, have you thought about using place, looking looking at place value in the form of houses? Oh, that makes sense to me. It's just looking for things. I think every parent will say that their kids are different. So why do we force them to do what we did? And as you said, Chris, before, surely my job as a parent who hated maths is not to teach it in the same darn way that put me off it in the first place. (laughs) We should be embracing new ways of doing it because we've got to trust that the system now has great ways of maintaining the rigour but looking at which avenue of understanding will suit your kid. It has evolved. And it has evolved. And because we know that's what unis want, retention, application, thinking, reasoning, it's a win-win situation for all of us the what uni wants perhaps you can briefly talk about mathematics in university but I'm also interested in what you think mathematics education uh, what teaching degrees should be covering from a mathematics point of view as well? Well, I mean, we need to have, because the whole STEM agenda, you know, we know that there's a, there's not many kids or there's not enough kids taking maths to that higher level of applied mathematics. So in Queensland, you know, the old maths C, it seems to be fairly stagnant or slightly declining. Now, you know, the pipeline of that is to get kids much earlier on engaged with that to actually enjoy what they're doing so you know what universities want they want them to have you know the those concrete skills 
and a lot of the kids in schools especially there's often not enough time to go back and retain those information I think a lot of that today with the new C senior we know that the way the assessment goes a concern for teachers is how are we going to get kids to retain information from six to twelve months ago when they're used to a system that just teach tests forget and I said well hello this is what we're on about and universities have said we've got to keep these skills sharp because a lot of universities have to offer extra classes just to polish up the basics now you know we need to make sure that those basics you know are there so the universities don't have to keep polishing up the basics because then kids get to university, they have to do an engineering course, but then they have to do an extra course to polish up the basics, which causes stress, which can lead to a dropout rate. That's higher than it should be. So we could help the unis, I suppose, by just you know encouraging formative assessment, sending things home. As a parent, okay, your kids year 12 are doing this, but can we keep these basics? Don't forget these basic skills, because that's what a uni wants. And even if it's not a maths degree, even in health, you know, they want these basic maths numeracy skills there, more so the kids to value them, not to be a surprise. Oh, I'm doing a medical course, you know, oh, why do we have to do index laws? You know, well, we need to get these kids, look, guys, this isn't maths, this is numeracy. And I think this whole dichotomy between when maths appears in another subject, it often shocks and disappoints kids. <laughs> And it shouldn't, because that's why we do maths. I mean, for me, ironically, you think of maths and English are the two main foundation subjects of most schools, but we use them in life in the context of science or law or humanities or measurement. We never have... It's rare to get them raw. Obviously, maths is slightly different because you can take the high and apply applied maths up. But for a lot of kids, it's going to see maths and English in the contextualised form of the areas of their careers, that they're going to use it. So if that's what we're going to use it for, we need to get kids used to seeing when maths appears. And that will help kids doing all these different courses at uni, I think. It's not so much we have to like bring algebra down even further into school or things like that. I've read plenty on that. That, that doesn't actually work. It's just making sure kids value you know, what, when they're going to use this stuff. And to understand, yes, if you go into uni, this is the sort of maths that you need. I know there's lots of brochures out there, but I think we could do a lot more to help kids understand the links between what they are now being taught and where that's going to help them. So that that would be a big thing. And then you said something else, and I've forgotten what you said. Um, education degrees. Yeah, I mean... Again, education degrees, in my think all universities offer some great ones. And it's just the time, I think it's in their defence, it's the time that they've got with the kids on prac and getting the basics done. I mean, often there's not much time for, you know, the theory side. Or a lot of things, it's like, well, just one term course on maths, one term course on English. It's trying to cram everything in, which is hard to do. Mm. And I think, you know, to me, it's who they get on placement a lot of the time. It's like what when they when push comes to shove. And my insight to that is for the last five or six years, I've always done that beta conference where we get the new teachers. And what's fascinating for me, a quick no quick analogy on that that is, if you offer subject specific um, workshops, they're not that well attended. 
Right. And I've actually used my marketing, here again, my marketing thing to, ch- to change semantics. So for a few years, I've done the math stuff that I do. And it's been attended by a few. Just say there's 300 people go to these things. You might get 15 or 20. <laughs> but then if you change it to a behaved thing, you know, motivate your kids with it, suddenly you're up to 60 come so it's fascinating i mean a colleague a colleague of mine once did a science one went to beta so he offered science so with 300 people there she only got two turn up so it shows you uh, it's not that they didn't want it they didn't want it at that particular time that wasn't a priority for these teachers in their first and second year so with 300 people at this conference and six workshops per thing only two went to science misconceptions in the primary years. And that just made me think, wow, this is quite interesting. So again, I now change mine. I don't put the word maths down. It's more critical, creative thinking. Suddenly I get 60. If I change it to maths, I get 10. So, so it's you want, fast. If you want an easy it's, couple of days, if you're running days. math workshops. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's changing. It's changing how we... It's changing the world view of what maths, and, no, what maths and numeracy is. And I think that's the hardest thing. Everybody thinks they know what it is, but not many people do. Mm. And that's why if I did a parent night with, could it maths night, fun maths night, a lot of parents would say, what the hell are they talking about? You can't have fun and maths. I'm not going to that. But when you turn it into games and things like this, like at Gimpy, when we had about you know 280 turn up, with a cluster of schools on a Tuesday night at the Civic Centre, that's powerful because it was the kids who said, Mum, Dad, you've got to come to this because it's going to help me. And that was great. Whereas another time, my first one I did as a parent thing, maths night to help your kids, 12. I wonder how many you'd get if you called it how to get your child into an extension math program. (laughs) (laughs) If I wanted to, or yes, or no, send them to the moon, maybe. Um, If I wanted to do that, I could. Do you know, my first um, teaching school was uh, Gympie Central. Okay. And, And in terms of getting parents on board... If I saw a parent, and it was I was on the second or third story. It's a um, three-story, two or two, no two-story. Um, but I was on the top anyway. And for me to actually make contact with a parent in Gimby, I saw one kid crossing the road to be picked up by his parents. So I actually ran down the stairs, ran across the road, and knocked on the window. <laughs> and the parent opened the door and said, "Hey, I teach your kid. I just wanted to meet you." Because they were looking at me like, "What have oh I done?" Hey, how are you? So that's how hard it is to actually get. So, as you were saying, in Gimpy to get two hundred people—that's that's pretty much. We had the kids come, and then we did a one again six months later because the parents asked for another one on something else, and we had about three hundred. And it was just that whole thing, you know. It it was just because I think when parents realise the barriers that this is actually going to help your kid, it's more than maths. And if I say maths again as a parent, I'm thinking, oh. Why? I can't. And then it stops that parent from helping. Mm. It's almost like, you know, these are ways to support and extend your kid. If you can get that across, I think that is what we're looking for. Because I can show, you know, it's like, this is what a university wants. And this is how you as a parent can go home tonight and do it by changing what you say. It's just, to me, it's just changing your words and actions. By changing that, you can change your kid's mindset you know, really, really fast to the advantage of that kid, you know, really can.
Do we want to go into takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I would say the takeaways for me would be, you know, if we want to avoid, you know, this one focus, this sole focus just on your speed and your memory and your fluency. And I say that because that is important to a degree. But as a takeaway, I think number one for me would be, you know, the positive role model. Now, what I mean by that is as a parent asking about what they're doing in maths, asking to share, comparing and contrasting your strategies, because this is about we want kids to see lots of different ways of doing stuff. And it's not about just replicating that. As a role model, you are getting your kids to explain it, try things out, look at similarities and differences. Whether I'm in year one, looking at adding three plus six plus four or something like that, looking at different ways of doing that. Whether I'm in year eight or nine, looking at the connection between index notation, no, 10 to the power of three, take 10 to the power of two. Is there a quick way of doing that? What way have you been shown? Let's have a look at this together. As a parent, you'll find that a lot of the maths, the foundations are actually quite basic. So you can actually be quite a positive role model. Going out, I know it's quite contrived to say going out and just shopping because a lot of things aren't done there. But just getting kids to estimate how much that those two items would be. We don't use cash anymore, hardly. It's a cashless society. So, But looking at the labels and things, looking at that, the quantities per hundred, getting them to guess, getting them to estimate... Now, those things are really useful. If a kid sees the mum doing it or the mum valuing it, that can be worth 100 hours of lesson time. Yet parents want their kids to help. Yet they are the biggest resource for this. And it requires no technology, no purchasing of products. You know, we've done that. I'm not saying the products aren't useful. Of course they are. But that's not on on their own is going to help your kid. That's part of it. Another thing is promote as a parent. So role modelling in one. And the second one is like promote that reasoning and thinking. Get your kids to have a challenge. Get your kids to pose a question in the car on the way to school. Get your kids to come up with a problem for you to solve. It just makes them think. Problem solving is about problem posing as much as solving. That's what the curriculum says. And we need to get kids to actually, you know, pose their own problems get them to come up with two or three ways of solving something get them to defend you're just getting them to talk getting them to think about what they've just said because that's going to benefit every kid so that 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 positivity with role modeling and that promotion of reasoning and thinking and even as a parent just making sure that you i suppose value why it's done differently it's not helpful for a kid to hear just what, well, in my day, we did it like this. You know, that might be well and good, but we need to embrace all the different ways because there's now a different destination for a lot of these kids. It's not the same. The job market for us is not the same for them. We need to make sure there's that diversity. We need to make sure there's that there. And, you know, helping, you know, coming in, offering things, looking look, look at ways. I mean, times tables is a big one. You know, making sure that you show kids or get the kids to talk to you about. We all want automaticity for times tables, but it's how they apply it. Yeah, they know nine, nine eights is seventy-two. But what about fifteen eights? If a kid says, "Oh, we've not done the fifteen times table yet," you think alarm bells sound. Well, you know your tens, you know your fives. Put the two together. 
So as a parent, we need to make sure automaticity is what I want, what everybody wants. But the reason why it lacks is because we're not obviously positively role model modeling it. Mm. And if chanting, which can work, it works for some, but often with chanting, you say, because there's no, because there's no rhyming of words, it's just a rhythm. Um, what I mean by that, that, that is, it's just a, 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 a certain beat, like do 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 do. You could come up with like three eight, no three eight to twenty eight, and a kid can learn that. It's wrong. You see, it says no. There's no actual the rhyme between the words. It's just a rhythm that they have to do, and so therefore we've come across kids who just chant things out, and they've somewhere on the line the numbers have gone wrong, but they just keep doing it, and then it gets cemented. Like three eight to twenty eight. No, they're not. Yes, they are because I've just said that. That's what I said. That's what I said. So you've got to be careful. But chanting works. But then, you know, getting them to visualise it. So again, this is all about being a positive role model. Is sitting them down for five minutes and just getting them to show show me what you've done at school today. Show me what works for you. Show me what you don't. Tell me what you don't like about maths. Tell me what you do like about maths. You know, but use the word maths as it's meant to be. Maths is not just fluency. Oh, in maths today, we've been talking about how to do these problems. That's maths. It might be a week where there's no arithmetic, but arithmetic is a segment. So as a parent, value that. Your kid might be good at valuing and reasoning, which is fantastic. You know, we want them to be good at that. You know, so those would be two takeaways. Positive role modelling and then promoting that reasoning and thinking and supporting where you can. If kids come home with some homework or things, you know, just getting them to talk about how they're feeling about maths, whatever. So I would say that would be some useful things to go. Absolutely. Joe, you got any questions, points? No, I did not. <laughs> no, I do actually. I, uh, if you're thinking still, what can I do? It is the show me how to do this, teach me what you did today, like pretend that you don't know it. Or if it's like, that's not what we did in our day, we did it like this, show me how you do it in your day. Mm. You know, that exchange, that invitation mm. to, hey, I don't know something or I want, I want you to teach me what, what you do know and we can have those conversations. Um, I want to ask you, you had a list of words, discuss, defend, justify, that all sound very cool. If you were to try, if you were trying to work on helping your kid to justify, what would be the leading question from the parent to the child? If I mean for words like that, I mean for getting them to justify, it's it's like, can you, you know how could you prove your answer's right? Could you do it a different way? How do you know your answer fits the question? Because you're getting the kids to do things like that. Um, show me two ways that you can get to the answer. So you get them to defend. So there's, no, yeah, those, then you're defending. Yeah. yeah. So those three words. I mean, as a parent, I would say, and I'd be talking about this maybe if we have like, like on the coast sometime, like a parent's information hearing on this, which we've got in term two about decode, decide, defend, decoding, getting your kid to tell them what do I have to do with this actual problem? You know what. Tell me what you have to do. What maths do you need need for this? What steps would you take? Draw no. Draw your plan of attack. That's decide. No, that's decoding. Decide. Okay. Now you've decoded it. Decide. Decide on what your plan will look like. What will you do first? How will you solve that? What's your answer? 
you know, are you rounding, are you doubling, are you estimating? And then defend. Can you now defend to me? So if you can like decode, decide, defend, those three are the three things that are assessed in high school, mm-hmm. right up to grade 12 and at university. And before, as a parent, we only valued decide, which is deciding your answer. Here's your answer tick. They're going to lose marks for decoding and lose marks for defending. And not just parents who have only valued that. Yeah, and decode and defend are more complicated to write mm. as software. So most mm. apps is just decide. Decide on your answer. Three times five, two times four, eight times six. Bang, 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 bang. You know, and we need to just to educate parents to say, look, I can show you all these things available. They're all great. But let's have a well balance because I could then say to the parents, look, you've got some great activities, but they're all decide. Your kid's not decoding, not defending. They're going to be at risk. Of our, and they'll hire, and that will manifest itself as in reluctance to do things, getting upset, switching off. And as a parent, that's going to hurt me. So we need to make sure they need to decode, decide, defend. Those three elements, those three pillars are essential. And what happens is for all kids I've come across in my 12 years of research in this area of working with thousands of kids across hundreds of schools, when one of those decode, decide, defend pillars is, is unstable, it causes issues all the time. But the good news is they can be remediated once you've identified what that problem is. Because underneath all that is, is their disposition. You see, if they're feeling anxious, let's target that first. Why are they anxious? The other day I had a year nine kids say they hate maths and it was traced back to year five. Mm-hmm. They actually traced it back, the boy, in year nine to year five, some bad experiences with adding and subtracting fractions, the class went too fast for them and that in four years that has just manifested itself into a blockage in their head of I hate maths you think oh my god that could have been remediated you know because by now it will take a long time to get them that can't be remediated in a week that needs a constant battle which teachers haven't got the time to do for one person it's in no but at home by knowing that now which I spoke to their parents about it's like oh so it's like Okay, let me now help you diagnose and remediate that problem. Try this with them, try this, try this, try this. And I think that's you know what, what, what we try and do with parents is to teach them how to diagnose and remediate or even prevent mm. these pro- problems from happening. Mm. Well, unfortunately, I think we'd better wrap up. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure getting you to... Um, Give us your insights today. You're welcome back. I'll come back whenever, whenever you want. Yeah, we can talk about uh, British comedies. British comedies. It is nice to have someone with an accent um, as well. (laughs) When Simon's not here, it's nice to (laughs) continue that. Um, Hopefully, this will go up soon. (laughs) Don't delete it. (laughs) <laughs> which has happened in the past if it gets deleted um, we just have to do it again just do it again we'll do it better with better accents yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joel what's on your playlist? Uh, I've been running Tones and I um, who is a Byron Bay busker I think she teams up with Tones. <laughs> um, and the song Johnny. Uh, I, I said it to you a while back. 
I said, I've just heard this song for the first time. It was a fresh on Triple J and it could be a really polarising song. Her, her voice is either I like it or I hate it. <laughs> um, and I had that lean to I like it and everyone that I've played it to has had the same experience in oh, you can see how you might not like it but you absolutely love it. The first 10 seconds I was in the oh, uh, I don't know. But then after that I, it just blew me away. Yeah. Yeah, but I do get... Like, if you if you were just flicking through the radio and that was the first... You only heard the first 10 seconds, you go, oh, no, I might not want to listen to that. The narrative act is what, what gets me. Her, the strangeness of her voice coupled with the narrative that uh, she's running is fantastic. Since then, that must have been, what, four weeks ago? Yeah. Since then, she's hit number one in Spotify, number one iTunes, and absolutely blown up. She's giving you permission to play that, right? I got her before she blew up. I've got the message uh, on Messenger where she says, sure, go for it. That'd so be, that'd be on great. wrap up, this, that's the song that you hear, Tones and I, Johnny. Yeah, awesome. Johnny, Johnny Runaway, I think. Is Johnny, Johnny Runaway. Runaway is the right thing. Because it's made me smile because that song about, I don't know, seven or eight weeks ago, I had a day at home um, doing some work and occasionally I like to put on a Spotify list that's just modern. And it runs in the background because when it runs in the background a few times, songs click. And at the end of that day, I chose six to add to my 2019 playlist. And that Johnny Runaway was one of the ones on there. And then about three weeks ago, my 15-year-old daughter suddenly had it on her playlist. And I thought, <laughs> yes, she's actually followed me. On that one. And even in Melbourne last week, we made a family playlist. Each of my family could choose 25 songs as we drove around Victoria. And that was one that she was on. So you just saying that song. And it is. The chorus especially, it's really, really good. Yes. But now, I hate it's one of those things, when they become really commercial, you sometimes think, damn. It's yes. like Adele's album 19, we had all the time. And then suddenly, everybody had it. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it can be quite frustrating in a way. What's well, so no, your playlist, Rob? Well, I'm going through a bit of a um, retro thing. I've started listening to, like, alternative on... Um, Spotify, they have alternative 70s, alternative 80s. So again, you just shove these songs on and you suddenly go, oh my God, I remember that song. So I started to collect all these songs. And like, so now I've just gone back into a bit more of The Clash and The Cure and those sorts of ones. That still sound, Porter's Head, that still sound really good today. So in my car, I have that. And on the way here, it was um, a 70s one. I think it was that. The Backman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just, I have, because I do a lot of driving, I have like a 60s playlist, 70s, 80s, retro, techno, modern, chill. And you just vary them all the time. But I like getting new stuff. Mm. Because there is quite a bit of new stuff Mm -hmm. out there that I love. Mm. For sure. Chris? (laughs) Thank you, Joe. I've got a podcast. Seems like I always have a podcast. Um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, Find My Fitness. I first heard uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is my news source for just about everything these days. Uh, but she's got her own her own podcast where she interviews uh, scientists and, and researchers, mainly about fitness, and I'm trying to find my fitness. And so I found this... <laughs> really really valuable it's heavily nutrition based but lots of um all sorts of different topics that that she um, that she goes into but what i love about it is that she introduces each of the podcasts with a difficulty rating 
So she'll say like, oh, this is a, a six out of 10. You know, there's some scientific language that you need to get your head around and almost gives you a glossary of the stuff first. And every now and then it'll be like, this is a nine out of 10. If you're not in this field, you might need to read up on this and this and this and this first. And, but it's great because That's then- fantastic. Yeah, because then they don't dumb anything down. They just deliver. It's just her having these conversations with these scientists and researchers at their level. And it just makes me feel good that there are people much, much smarter than me having those conversations. <laughs> uh, that's it. We're done. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Johnny was a young boy. He liked playing at the park. And Johnny said, oh, okay. can you take me now?